Welcome to the Connecting Place podcast. Here is Pastor Joe Caminetti. And today I have the privilege, guys, of teaching lesson number two in a series titled The Generous Life, A Deeper Look at Money. And today we're going to talk about something that at first you may not think is connected to money, but it really has everything to do with money. We're going to talk about following Jesus and what the Bible has to say about this thing called following Jesus. And we live in a time and a day where following someone's a lot different than it was in Bible days. I have a Twitter account, and uh, on my Twitter account, I have followed different people over time. And if you have never had a Twitter account, that's where you send tweets. And uh, it, it's, really, it's really a cool thing. And several years ago, I found myself not being able to go to the high school football games I wanted to go to. I really love high school football, and this area is loaded with some great football. And I'd, I'd, be con- I'd have to do stuff where I couldn't go, you know, and I had to be somewhere else. And I'd be sitting there wondering what the score was. And then it dawned on me one day, another guy here at the church helped me figure it out, that I could follow WFMJ Sports, and they would send me tweets of every quarter what the score was to every game. So I went ahead and connected, and I really enjoyed it, but I didn't realize some other things were going to come with that. Uh, For instance, every score to every game in the world. And uh, so what happened is my wall was filled up with tweets to where when I went on my Twitter, all I could see was W, F, and J. And I got tired of just trying to find other tweets and, and find my tweets. And they were doing their job, but I only signed up for high school. So you know what I did? In one click, I unfollowed them. It was that easy to stop following them, just one click. And I think we're used to that today. And Facebook is similar. We have friends on Facebook. I have thousands of friends. I don't know who they are, most of them, but they're my Facebook friends. And years ago when I got on Facebook, uh, this is many years ago now, Uh, I got into some of the games, and I really got into this game called Farmville, which is a digital farm, and you literally farm, but it's digitally, and and you start out with this little plot of land, and then you have to you have to plow the land, and you have to buy the seeds, and then you have to harvest, and if you don't harvest in time, you lose your crop, and you lose all this money, and, and then as you harvest, you can buy animals, so I had cows, and I had to go milk the cows, and I had chickens, I had to collect the eggs, I had some sheep, I had to share them, and I'm working like a dog on this digital farm, thankfully it was in air conditioning, and just using my finger to do it, but I'm timing it, saying, the harvest is ripe in eight hours. I, I can go harvest, and then I can put more seed in. And the more seed I have in, the more profit I make. And, and I, I kept growing my farm and buying bigger and bigger acreage. And then I had the biggest farmhouse, the biggest acreage you could have. I had the most animals and everything you could have. And because I'm very competitive, I grew it fast. Because I, every time it was harvest time, I went and harvested. I mean, I just did it on the nose every single time. And uh, I had a guy right on my wall. Didn't even, I didn't even know him. He was from out of town. And he wrote on my wall, he said, you are a cheater. He said, you have cheated. There's no way to grow a farm that fast. And everybody that's a friend of mine can read it. And I didn't see it for hours. And I get on there and I see a scathing note from this guy. So what did I do? Well, I deleted the note because it's my wall. I can delete it. But then I went and I clicked, just one quick click, and he was no longer my friend. 
and I lost a friend that quick. And I walked away from him because I didn't like what he said on my wall. I don't know how Christian that was, but that's, that's just where I was at at the time. And, and uh, so I did it, did it with WFMJ. And I think in our culture, guys, um, we're so used to unfollowing someone that quick that when we think about following Jesus, and that's what I want to talk to you about, and it is connected to this thing called money. When we think about unfollowing Jesus uh, or following Jesus, we think of it in the light of the culture that we live in. And when Jesus talked about it, it was way more serious than that. So here's the thought I want to get across to us. I want you to walk out never forgetting. God doesn't want your money. He wants your life. And that's what it means to follow him, to literally give him your life. And, you know, if you give him your life, you'll, you'll give him money. That's like really easy if, if you love him and, and he has your life. It's really simple. So in this series, The Generous Life, I'm emphasizing being generous towards God. And the way we're generous towards God is uh, we believe what the Bible says, that he says the tithe belongs to him. And if you're visiting today, stick with me. You'll, you'll understand when I'm done with this lesson. I remember the first time I found out what the tithe was, it it made me mad at my pastor at that time. And uh, uh, a tithe is giving a tenth of your income to God. And immediately when you think of that, you think, I have all these bills. There's nothing there for you, God. I can't do that. I'll throw you something every week. I'll try to give when I'm here. And, and that's where all of us start with God, really. And I heard about this, and it blew my mind. And I did get mad at the pastor because he had a nice car and I had a junky car at the time and I thought I'm not bringing my tithe to this church so he can live nice and I'm going to struggle to support his lifestyle and that's how I looked at it and God grew me and I'm going to talk about how I grew and what God did in my life and and here's what I noticed God wasn't after my money he was after my life and God wanted to bless me and he wanted to grow me in the area of finances and in every other area so I want to talk about this thing called following it's not like I, I don't like what you said Jesus click I'm not I'm not going to follow you in this area uh, Jesus I don't really like what I hear I'm going to unfriend you for a while I'm, I'm just going to skip church and skip God for a while no no the Bible talks about once we accept Christ he wants us to follow him. So I want to read a scripture to you, Mark chapter 8. And this is one of my deepest passions as a pastor. I have two passions, guys, as a pastor. One is to bring people to Christ, and two is to turn Christians into disciples. And I live and breathe that passion. It's, it's, it's all I think about every day of my life. When I think about coming to church and teaching, I'm thinking about, Lord, how can I take everybody here to the next level? And some of you are doing incredible. You're, you're, you're where I'm at in God, and I'm proud of you. But how can we go to the next level? But then how can anybody, what can we do to take it up to the next level? So here's Jesus, Mark 8, 34. He says this. Then he called the, uh, to the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, he explains what that means in verse 35. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Now, when he talks about denying ourselves and picking up our cross, that's losing your life. And losing your life means that you're willing to do what Jesus says even when you don't feel like it or you don't like what he says. It's, it's called losing your life. And I love what he says at the end of verse 35. 
you'll save it. And here's what I noticed. Every time I surrendered to God and said, I'll follow you in this area, new life came. It blossomed. I, I had discovered things that I never knew existed in life and in God. And I'll talk to you about that in just a moment. But then he says, as Christians, he says, if we try to save our life and say, Jesus, I don't want to live the Christian life. I don't want to become a disciple in this area. I want to keep doing what I've always done. He says, you'll end up losing it. And it doesn't mean you'll go to hell. It just means you're going to lose life that God wants to pour into you and things are going to die in your life that God wants to make alive and wants to blossom in you. So let's go back to verse 34 and talk about it. He says, uh, if you come after him, if you accept him as Savior, can we all agree we don't work our way to heaven? We believe in Jesus. That's how we go to heaven. And I'm excited about that. And once we believe, Jesus makes a call. He's making a call to everyone in this room. Here's the call. It's better on this side. Here's the call. He says, hey, now that you believed, I want you to follow me. So how do you follow Jesus? It's real simple. You read the Bible and find out what he says. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, it records everything Jesus said that he wanted recorded. And so when I read like I'm reading Mark, it's like I was there and I'm sitting at Jesus' feet and I'm hearing what he has to say. And that's what it means to follow him. He's not here. We can't walk with him like they did, but we follow him by reading the Bible. And the whole Bible is Jesus speaking because Jesus is the word and he's one with the whole Bible. So he says, come after me. In order to do it, you must deny yourself take up your cross and follow me. Now, the cross is an interesting thing. Today, we wear the cross uh, as a piece of jewelry, which is not wrong, so don't think I'm saying it's wrong, but we have beautiful gold or silver crosses, maybe some diamonds in them or whatever, and, and they're beautiful, and if you're a Christian, they mean something to you. They're, they're, they're reminding you that Jesus died so you can live, so that's a good thing, but here's what we don't understand. In Bible days, the cross was a symbol of torture and death. The equivalent of that today would be you and I wearing um, an electric chair uh, on, on our jewelry because that's a, that's a symbol of what? Death. And it would be the equivalent. So when the disciples heard the cross, they weren't thinking of a pretty piece of jewelry. They were thinking of torture and death. They were thinking that's where people die. That's where people are tortured and they end up dying. And Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself and pick up your cross. What does that mean? Our self is our own desires. You know, we call it our flesh. Your flesh is your body and your body didn't change when you accepted Jesus. So within your body is this thing called a sin nature. And that's why you and I as Christians, we can still sin. I mean, we can still do anything we ever did if we don't decide to put that under and uh, that's, that's your, your desires. And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself, your feelings, your thoughts, your desires, your wants, and you have to nail them to the cross. And that's what it means to become a disciple. And I feel like in America, that's not preached as clearly as it should, especially on TV. And, and I feel it's important for, if we're going to grow, for that to be taught, for that to be preached. 
because yeah, we go to heaven by faith, but man, I don't want to get to heaven and have Jesus not happy with me. I want to arrive in heaven and have him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want to be standing behind you when you stand before him, and I want to go, yes, they were there on that snowy day, and they heard what I said. Yes, they grew, and they followed Jesus. They are a disciple, and Jesus looks and says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So I thought I'd make it real and I like to make things real by just dealing with the culture we live in. And, you know, when I accepted Christ at 19, 35 years ago or so, uh, 36 years ago, the world was pretty similar. It's, now it's just more blatant. Now everything's out in the open. You know, back then, if you wanted to see soft porn or porn, you had to go buy a magazine or you had to go to a porn store and buy, um, you know, a film. Uh, today, you can see it on TV. You can see soft porn on any, you can see it on the premium channels anytime you want. You can watch it for free on the internet. So I want to deal with the subject of purity, and I just want to show you what happened in my life. So I accept Christ at 19, and I begin to follow him, and I'm reading, and I'm reading, and as I read, I saw some disturbing things. They were disturbing to me at the time. Do you know what Jesus teaches? He says that we shouldn't have sex unless we're married. And it should only be to the person we're married to. And I was sexually active before I met Jesus. So I'm like, whoa, Jesus, everybody's doing it. And, you know, you're trying to tell him it's normal. It's part of our culture. Jesus, you're so old fashioned. Why would you want me not to have sex before I get married? And I, I've already been doing it. Now you want me to stop. And I remember the battles that I went through. But every time I read, he's telling me it's a sin to have sex outside of marriage. And I had desires that wanted to keep doing it. They wanted to keep doing it. But on the inside, I loved Jesus, and I wanted to please him. But there was a moment in time where I decided, I'm going to nail this to the cross. I'm going to deny myself and follow him. And I'll never forget the moment in time where I said, Jesus, I will obey that, and I will follow you in that area of my life. You know, I wanted to unfriend him at that time, but, but I decided to follow him because it, it wasn't a happy day. And, and, uh, but I did. Now, I, I was married five years later, four or five years later, four and a half, and I stayed pure till that day, but um, I was tempted a lot. There were many cold showers that I took, guys, as a single person. I'm just trying to be real because uh, young people, if you're single, you need somebody to be real with you. And, and uh, I want you to see how the Bible worked in my life. So then I'm following them a little more, and I'm reading, and I'm reading, and I'm reading. And then I saw something else that really bugged me. Jesus said, if you think about sex in your mind, it's the same as doing it. I'm like, Jesus, I just gave it up physically. And I was heavy into porn before I met him. So now it's like, now you're going to tell me I can't even just think about it. I'm not hurting anybody, Jesus. You're telling me that can't be something I do? And I struggled. There was a struggle there for me. And I'll never forget the day when I said, well, Jesus, I don't know exactly why you don't want me to do this. I see no harm in it, but I'm going to deny myself, and I'm going to follow you. And little did I know Jesus was preparing me for marriage. You know, at that time, uh, when I was 20, this all happened. Gina was 16 in Chicago, still in school, and I'm 20 years old, and she married an older man. And uh, so, so there we are. 
But God was preparing me to be ready for marriage and to be pure. And God was preparing me for something that's so unbelievable and nothing's like it. I lived on both sides of the fence. And let me tell you, nothing is like what God gives you in marriage. It's absolutely incredible. But you don't know that and you don't know he's actually doing you a favor and he's blessing you and he's doing something for you that is, is, it takes the cheapness out of it and brings it to this incredible level. I didn't know that. But every time I followed him, I'd read something he didn't want me to do it. So uh, it happened with tithing too, guys, and being generous with God and his work on the earth and giving to the local church the way he wants me to. And uh, I told you I got mad at my pastor. My jaw dropped. But then I found out it was in the Bible. And I'll never, find out, I'll never forget the day where I said, Lord, I'm going to tithe. And I was working a very low-paying job. I was in between. I just got out of a business. I, I had uh, occurred business debt. So I'm out of a business, paying debt off, driving an old junky car, and, uh, and God's dealing with me to tithe. And I'll never forget when I said, Lord, I'll bring the tithe. You said it's yours. I'll bring it to you. And I'll remember that first check. I, I put it in the offering basket. And then I put my next one, and then I put my next one. And what happened over the next year was spectacular. And I don't know if God went extra spectacular on me because he knew I'd be a pastor and I could share stories or I, I've heard him do this in other people's lives. Here's one thing I know. When we tithe and we're generous with God, he opens the windows of heaven and he begins to pour out favor and blessing on our lives. And then he rebukes the devourer so that our, our money is protected. And I'll never forget what happened. I had someone walk up to me and say, I want to pay your business debt off. It's like, whoa, it was 10,000 or so. I get so old, I forget exactly, but I think it was around 10,000. And uh, so they paid that off. And then I had someone come up to me and say, I want to pay your car off. Uh, it was my junkie car, but they paid off the loan I had on it. And then a short time later, someone came up to me and said, I, I want to give you a car. And they gave me a car. It wasn't brand new, but it was nicer than my junker. And, and, and here I am just giving my tithe. And I wasn't giving to get. I was just giving to be obedient. But I was watching heaven open up and blessings. And where I thought I couldn't make it and I couldn't survive, God showed me, no, I can put favor on your life. And shortly after that, I drove down to Bible school. And I'm, I have a couple hundred bucks in my pocket driving the, the newer car, nicer car. And, and I, I, I had secured an apartment called the Mingo Valley Apartments. My brother Tony and I were going to be roommates, but we had no money for furniture. So I had a sleeping bag and a pillow. I was going to sleep on the floor. And uh, then I was going to buy a folding chair when I got down there so I could sit and eat in the kitchen. And uh, there was, we were, I just needed to go to Bible school and I, I didn't have anything. I was just going to live without any furniture. And I got lost. This is before GPS, Google, internet, everything. So I, I, I had to suck it up and I had to go ask for directions. Didn't want to. I drove it all, just tried to find it myself. And I walk into a convenience store. And some of you have heard this before, but it, it bears repeating. And I get in there, and there's a young man behind the counter about my age. And I said to him, I said, I'm lost. Can you tell me where the Mingo Valley apartments are? And he didn't answer my question. Here's what he said. Are you here to go to Bible school? I said, yeah, I am. How, how do you know that? He said, when you walked in the door, he said, God spoke to my heart and told me to give you all of my furniture. I said, what? He said, yeah, I just graduated from your Bible school that you're going to. I just graduated. He said, I'm single. I was going back home. I was going to get uh, rent a vehicle and pull all my furniture back. 
He said, but God told me to give it to you. He says, I have a truck. When can I bring it to your apartment? And he showed me how to get there. He brought me a full bedroom set, full living room set, uh, full kitchen set. And, and I just was blown away at the generosity and the blessings of God. And that's what I found out happened when I died to myself and I realized this isn't all about money, man. This is about God wants my life. And when I give him my life, he begins to bless me in every area of my life. That's just what God does. So in each of these lessons, I'm sharing what I call an international tithing story. These are just incredible stories. And uh, I want to talk to you today, just a quick story about John D. Rockefeller before I go to another scripture. This is an incredible story. Uh, he, he was an interesting man. He, owned the, uh, he pioneered and owned the Standard Oil Company. And he said this, I wouldn't have been able to tithe the first million dollars I ever made if I had not tithed my first salary, which was $1.50 a week. So he started giving 15 cents a week. Listen to this. His net worth in today's dollars is around $63 billion. He's the wealthiest man that ever lived on planet Earth. And I believe he's wealthier than Solomon because Solomon's money was part of the kingdom of Israel. It wasn't all his. So this is the richest guy that ever lived. He could buy and sell Bill Gates over and over again. He was a tither. And wait till you hear his story. Um, BP purchased the Standard Oil Company in 1978. So for many of you, you just, you know BP, but before it was BP, it was Sohio or the Standard Oil Company. It had some different names. And when you see BP the next time, remember that that started by a tither, not BP, but those gas stations that were there before. And he also was the founder of the University of Chicago, which is pretty cool. He was a very generous man, but here's a story. His dad was a medicine peddler. And what that means is uh, his dad went door to door selling these hokey uh, fake medicines. You know, they, they were just fake wives' tales, and he'd try to sell this fake medicine to people. And his dad was also a bigamist. He had multiple wives. And, and John never, ever hardly saw his dad. His dad came in and out of his life. So he was fatherless. He wasn't born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He was raised by his mom, a single mom, as a poor young guy. But his mom took him to church, and he accepted Christ at a very young age. And he began to tithe, you know, that $1.50, 15 cents a week, he began to give to the Lord and he was the janitor in his church for a while. He volunteered to be the janitor before he was wealthy because they just didn't have the money to pay one. Uh, he was a Sunday school teacher all through his adult life. He taught Sunday school. Can you imagine a billionaire coming in and teaching Sunday school in a church? He never walked away from God. And God did something in his life that's absolutely spectacular. And I smile when I think the wealthiest man that ever lived was a tither. And you might be sitting here saying, Pastor Joe, that's an awesome story, but what does that have to do with me? I'm a college student, or I'm on a fixed income, or I'm on welfare. So what does that mean for me? Well, I realize that, uh, you know, there may be one person in here that could turn into the next John D. Rockefeller, maybe a young person that will become a businessman, or, or uh, you know, and God will prosper because they wanna, they wanna give generously to the kingdom of God. But I realize for the most of us, it's not like that. But here's what I want you to learn from it, that when we do surrender and give God our life in this area, just like every other area, God brings blessing and God brings favor and God will bless your life above your ability as you surrender 
and you begin to give him these areas. There's an example in 2 Corinthians about a church that did this, and I'm going to read in just a moment chapter 8, but before I do, I mentioned it last week, but we read a different part. This is a, some other verses this week. Uh, Paul is trying to receive an offering for the church, the Christian church in Jerusalem. They were really poor because uh, they were being persecuted by the Jews, and so uh, they were being fired from their jobs, thrown into prison, put to death, uh, and so uh, they were really, really poor. So Paul thought, I'll ask all the non-Jewish churches to take an offering so I can help these guys out. And so he's going to come to Corinth. Corinth is a super wealthy church. They've got lots of money. They're prospering. The Christians aren't being persecuted there, kind of like America today. And he's telling them a story, like I tell stories, to get them motivated to give. And he tells them a story about the church of Macedonia he says, guys, this church was so poor that they begged me to give in this offering. And I, I wasn't even going to ask them because they didn't have the money. And I thought, why ask them? They don't have the money to give. And I want you to hear these verses uh, beginning in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and, and verse 1. It says, and now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So God can grace us to do this thing. In verse 2 and 3, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. And here's the clincher, verse 4 and 5. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. They begged Paul. Paul said, no, you, you're, you're hurting yourself. I don't want to take your money. And they said, let us give, let us give. And in verse 5, and they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. And I think that's an amazing scripture because it's what Jesus talked about in Mark 8. It's what I'm talking about. God doesn't want your money. He wants your life. And they gave themselves first to the Lord. I believe everything in God begins with us surrendering to the Lord and deciding to follow him. And if I can get Christians to do that, I believe everything else just is easy to fall into place. And they gave themselves to the Lord, and the Lord dealt with them and said, I want you to give. And they, I could imagine some of their arguments, Lord, we're hurting ourselves. And he said, no, I want to bring a blessing to you. And in order to bring that blessing, I need you to give. And he's encouraging them to give. And it's amazing the grace that took place. So I want to tell you a story. It's the coolest story as I close today. It has to do with one of the old hymns. And the old hymn I'm talking about is, I have decided uh, to follow Jesus. It's a beautiful hymn. And many of the old hymns have a story behind why they were written and how they were written. And this one does. It's a cool story. Uh, imagine the 1800s and imagine India, Hindu nation. And back then in India, uh, if you were a Christian, they would bring you out to the public square and they would tell you to deny Christ. And if you didn't, they would execute you in front of the people of that community. So there was this man, his name was Assam, and his wife, they accepted Christ. And, and they tried to hide it, but they found out they're Christians. And when they found out, they brought him to the town square, and all the people are gathered. And there's some other Christians in the crowd uh, that they don't know about. And Assam is there with his wife, and they said to Assam, we want you guys to deny Christ, and if you don't, we're going to execute you. And Assam said, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Someone in the crowd was writing this down. And they looked at him and they said, don't you realize uh, 
that if you don't deny Christ right now, we're going to execute you. And he looked at him again and he said, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And at that moment, they shot his wife in the head. And there she is laying dead in front of him. I can't even imagine the turmoil and, and, and what was happening in his life at that moment. And they looked at his son again. They said, are you going to deny Christ now? And he went on to say, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. And they executed him. You know, even today in North Korea and in Iran, if you don't denounce Christ, they for sure throw you into jail. They're putting Christians to death all the time. And here in America, we, I don't think we should be guilty because we're not being persecuted like that. But I think we should ask ourselves, with our freedom, how should we live our lives? And I think Jesus is saying to us, he's just screaming it from the mountaintops, lose your life, make a decision to follow me. And I think about what a son did, man, he died physically to follow Christ. And we're going to sing this song in just a moment. But before we do, I want you to have a God moment. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. And I know for sure that even if, I, even if my words don't do it, just reading Scripture, God's talking to people. And so God's been talking to people. And for many of you, you are following Him, and, and He's commending you, encouraging you to go further. For others, this is a new message, and, and God hits you right where you needed to be hit this morning. He's speaking to your heart right now. And I want to ask you to make a commitment to God and say, Lord, I'm willing to lose my life and I'm willing to follow you. And I'm going to give you a few moments to have what I call a God moment and just allow you and God to talk to each other. I don't believe any of us came to church today my mistake and I know as I prepared this message my life was touched and changed and I know God's doing that all through this room now can can we stay in an attitude of prayer bow our heads close our eyes for a moment more maybe you walked in today and you've never made it personal with Jesus you can't remember a day in your life when you prayed and said Jesus I want to personally accept you as my savior you know growing up in America most of us know who he is but We've never been taught that we have to make a commitment to him. And if you're here and you say, Pastor Joe, I listened to what you said during communion. I heard what you just said now. And I'm ready to accept Christ as my Savior. I believe he died for me. If you're here and that's you, would you pray with me right now? Everyone else in the room, would you help them pray? And just say this after me. Say, Lord God, I realize I'm a sinner. I repent for all my sins. And this day, I give my heart to Jesus. Jesus, I believe you died for me. God raised you up from the grave. I receive you as my Savior, and I make you Lord of my life this day. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Connecting Place podcast. For more information about Believer's Church, visit believers.cc.